Ready? So welcome back to Diaries of the Wild Ones. Once again, a huge thank you to Wild Earth Australia for supporting me in the adventurous lifestyle. If you guys need any gear for your next adventure, running, camping, climbing, hiking, you guys name it, these guys have it. So go to wildearth.com.au and put in the 10% discount code, my diary, all one word, capital letters, wildearth.com.au. Okay, so now you guys know that I live in Crescent Head and we love our little town and my friends and neighbors here have started Crescent Head Brewing Co. Not only do I love supporting small business, I love supporting just good humans. So let's give a big shout out to Crescent Head Brewing Co. And next time you come to our little town, stop into the tavern or the tavern bottle and support the locals. Two beers to choose from, a fruity XBA or a Chris Lager. Surf the point all day. Then have a Crescent Head Brewing Co. beer, watching the waves as the sun goes down. That's the point, right? Now remember, when you come to Creso, enjoy this beautiful place and our local beer. But remember to leave no trace and take your garbage with you, please, guys. So guys, I've had a bit of a break. I've been dealing with the tragic sudden death of my beautiful sister, Sarah. And then now recovering from an operation of getting my appendix removed. I just really want to thank everyone who reached out and sent their love and condolences. It really meant a lot. Grief is a whole new learning curve in life for me. And I'm guessing so many of you can relate to that. So I just had time off and I went to nature and I did a few climbing trips. Had an absolute dream trip down in New Zealand in the mountains, pushing ourselves and getting a few summits. And and then I went to Indonesia for a couple of months and now I'm heading to Iceland. So exciting stuff. And I just want to give a big thank you to all you guys again and also Wild Earth Australia for all the gear that they supplied me for, for these trips and you know keeping me comfortable and warm in the mountains and just for all, all their support. It really means a lot. So thanks again, everyone. And thanks again, Wild Earth. So much love. Okay, so we're back to fortnightly episodes and I've got lots of goodies coming your way. But now this episode is absolutely brilliant. One that after hearing it, I just could not stop thinking about it. It's like interviewing one of the kids from that movie, Captain Fantastic or something. You know, just super interesting and inspiring, you know, just of different ways to live life. And also for me personally of how I want to live my life. You know, there's so much to see and experience in this world. And I just really look up to people who have the courage to not accept this idea of this societal norm and just go their own way. You know, not just be parts in this machine of someone else's story. You know, get a career, go to work, buy a house, buy a car, buy a nicer house, buy a nicer car, keep up with the Joneses, stay distracted, don't connect to yourself, don't connect to nature, don't question it. But, you know, we're given this gift of life to experience it. And there is a whole world out there just waiting for us. So you're about to meet Jesse. A guy who grew up traveling and cycling around the world with his family. He literally grew up by riding a bike around the world. Not just for weeks or months, 
but years, <laughs> like over a decade. And for me, all those fears of living a life like this and bringing kids up like that, all the fears that I have in that, they just disappear when you meet people like Jesse or when I meet people that I have around the world that are living like this, you know, breeding such capable humans. You know, Jesse is a super capable, super social and just all round cool human. And um, I just want to thank him so much for, for coming on and telling his story. You guys enjoy this one. I'm ready. <laughs> All right, Jesse. Jesse, mad dog. What's your What's your actual last name, Jesse? Verhage. So For- mum and dad are originally from Holland. So oh, got, yeah, last name from yeah the Netherlands. So it's kind of like German. It sounds if you say it in Dutch, it's Verhage. Really? So, yeah. They, did they grow up in Australia or they no, like born no, over there? They met when they were seventeen. Traveled around, met when they were 17, hadn't slept with anyone, you know, it was that perfect love relationship kind of thing, ditched everything and started cycling around the world. So, oh my God, together. Okay, okay, okay. I, I just yeah. want to get into this because I've just met you and we're in Western Bar right now. We're sitting up at this burger. I've just surfed all day. You got on the beers last night, but you've been, you're about to surf. You're I about did. to surf the Savo. But I'm, I met you a couple of days ago and, and um, I got told about you because I got told, I was like, we're just talking about interesting stories that were wrong the other day and this German couple go, oh God, you've got to meet this Jesse guy. He's traveled all around the world since he was a kid. Yeah, yeah. And I came and met you and I was like, whoa, I was like, what is going on here? And you said you speak seven languages. You've got this Australian accent. You yep. said, you know, like you lived in Lennox or you're from Lennox, but then you travel all around the world. And I was like, you know, this is a, a story. And the, 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 the funny thing is, is that the, the German people that told me about you were sitting there with a one-year-old baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're traveling around right now with their Grom. And I've seen so many families do that. And that's one thing that I want to do. Yeah. And then suddenly I'm like, I've met you who grew up like that. So I really, just really want to hear how this um, came to be. So yeah, yeah okay. So, sure. So, okay. So your parents, your parents have met. And they're mad dogs and yeah. they're just um so what what was their thing like well they were just brought up in a standard suburb in in holland you know and i think they they had that spark inside of them and they actually hitchhiked from the netherlands all the way to greece through ex-yugoslavia when they were 17 ended up pitching up in greece on the islands camping living off the ocean for a couple of months fell in love with the lifestyle and then um i think my dad went back to the netherlands with my mom they flew over to australia did their working holiday visa got their permanent residency after two years because my dad's a chef by trade yeah. and back then that's what they were looking for so it's extremely easy and uh that kick-started their trip around the world they flew over to java this would have been in late 70s early 80s oh, wow. and they were hitchhiking through java and the story goes that my mum was sitting on the on the back of a truck looked over the side and saw this one white bloke with two two back bags on the bike and they just were like, yeah, this is it. We're doing that. So they went back to Australia, bought some push bikes and flew straight to South America. They were one of the first people to cycle all South America for two and a half years back then. Really? So that kick-started that journey of, of cycling and, you know, slowing life down, basically. And wow. Uh, so so your parents, like, to, to do this, was that... That would have been so against the grain as well for for their culture back then, like the Netherlands, like going out and like traveling so much or whatever. Oh, absolutely, like, absolutely, yeah. yeah. That's been it's been a long journey for them, especially you know we lost lost a lot of friends, family members who didn't necessarily agree. Let alone when we started doing it as a family, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, they've been basically following the freedom train since 
yeah, they were 17. So, so, um, so when did you, when did they have you? They had me when they were 35. My mum was out, they were cycling. They'd just done South America. They flew over to South, I, my mum fell pregnant with me in Brazil. They cycled until I, they were like eight months pregnant and ended up in South Africa. They were cycling South Africa and they were like, nah, I think we should go get Jesse born in uh, Brizzy. So they flew over to Australia and I was born there. Oh my and God. So, so your parents, wait, wait. So if they started pretty much traveling when they were 17. Yep. And then had you when they were 35, that's like literally half their life. They just went and like traveled. Just explored. Yeah, I think they were together for at least 15 years before I came along. Really? And yeah. was, was your dad, like, were they, how were they making money? Was he stopping and chefing in places? They and would just do random jobs around Australia, majority, or in Europe. They'd just stop, buckle down for five months, make as much money as they can, and then make that last as long as they can. Are they still you know? doing this? They're still doing it, yeah. Oh, my God, but, okay. But they found a whole new way of doing it now. They make jewelry. So that's what they've been doing for the last eight years or so so that's it's a long story but halfway through the travels i will backtrack a bit yeah yeah, yeah, this this goes pretty deep but yeah because i was born in brisbane and then by the time i was six months old we bought a combi van started traveling around australia did that for two years my brother was then born in perth or in bunbury in west oz and we then continued for another two and a half years I think I was five years old and the pressure of society, pressure of family, pressure of our grandparents and whatnot. My mum was like, maybe we should settle down, go to school, send the kids, you know, to a normal life. And uh, long story short, we went to the Atherton Tablelands and my parents bought this little block of land up on the lake there. And we pitched up for two years and come the two years, my dad started working as a nurse. My mum was just a stay at home mum. I'd go to school. My brother Sammy was still too young. I think we stayed there for two years, and after two years, my mum came back, and she was like, I'm not happy here. There's not, like, you start getting itchy. Yeah. And uh, my dad said, hey, you know what? We'll put it up for sale. If it sells within 24 hours, we'll do it. And bam, they put it up for sale. The next day, it was sold. And uh, we bought a four-wheel drive back then and a camp event, a little trailer, and we ended up doing five years around Australia. Well, do you, do you remember what it was like as a little kid when, because some people say like oh you know like it it can become socially bad for kids or whatever what what was it like mm. for you traveling i never had an issue you never had nah. an issue like when you went around did you just find friends where you went absolutely yeah you know the beauty about traveling that's the beauty about growing up as a kid everywhere it's like you just get so used to being thrown into the you know into the dirt basically and figure it out and that as a young age i remember already just loving meeting new people it's always part of it did you did um, you ever feel like you like did you ever get somewhere that you just wanted to stay and then your parents are like, you know, like you met some friends or whatever and you're having a great time and then they're like, nah, we're leaving? We always had moments where if it was a great time, mum and dad were very flexible on that, you know. If me and me, me and Sammy were having a good time, it was about, you know, let us play and let us have fun. And if it was a month, if it was two months, but there would come a point where eventually we'd move on. It was never a rush. That's why we took so long, you know, going through Central and South America, Europe. They were not stints of a year. It was two and a half years, Yeah, you know, doing each country as long as the visa lasts. It'll be arrive in a little town, have a great time, end up staying two weeks instead of a night. Yeah. You know, go to random schools. We were doing little pro- little projects here and there. And, you know, it was yeah. always, always part of the trip was to just slow it down and enjoy and see the world for what it is. So were they, were they homeschooling you as they did this? Yep. Yep. So I did most of, most of, in Australia, we were following a proper homeschooling education system. There was a care and school of distance. Back then we didn't have internet, so they were just sending us boxes with like the whole curriculum of three months and we'd do all the homework in the bus and then send it back and get it verified. 
But then when we started cycling around the world, we couldn't carry all these books and papers and whatnot. So we got a little laptop with CD-ROMs. Okay, 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 okay. Just wait, just wait, just wait. So when you started cycling around the world, so you've been in the bus for like five years, five traveling years, around yeah. Australia. You know, so it's you, your brother, yep. and your parents. And yep. then where's this idea come from that they're like, oh, no, we want to get back on push bikes? So that's funny. It was back in 2007, right when the economy was crashing in the States. And we were down in Tasmania doing the longest walk down to the south. It's like a six-hour trek. And my dad was explaining us about inflation and, and what was going on in the and world. how old are you at this time? I was 12. My brother was 10. Yeah, so he was just explaining basically how the Australian dollar was like one-on-one -on -one with the US dollar at this point. We were going up and America was crashing. And um, he used the reference of cycling. He was like, oh, we could sell our truck just as a joke. He's like, oh, we could sell the truck, fly out to California, get two tandems, cycle around. We'd live off the interest of the bank, you know, the money that they had in the bank, which was 8% at the time. And um, that would be about $35, $40 a day for free. And yeah. he was like, oh, we could go to the States and we'll basically we'd be saving money doing that and me and my brother took it so seriously like being brought up with the stories of them cycling around the world and whatnot it was a dream of ours so we just lobbied them for two months like we go oh mum and dad we're going for a surf here's a coffee talk about the trip we're gonna do and they just laugh it off and then one night like two months later my dad said hey we've had a chat he's like you guys are too young to do this it's dangerous etc etc so both the car sells within 24 hours we'll do it and again, boom, 24 hours later, it was sold. Wow, just just yeah. putting it to the universe, yeah, eh? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a philosophy that my parents always had, you know, like, mm. see how it all goes. And we ended up selling the truck and flew out. This was mid-2007. Spent six months hitchhiking around Southeast Asia and here in Bali for a while where we started a, in Indo, where we started a little project for a girl we met. She, didn't, she was working in a little restaurant there. She was like 14 years old. And we put it back in school, build her a house and whatnot. And it was part, you know, that's also part of the philosophy of my parents. Always sharing is caring, you know, and what goes around comes around. And we're so fortunate to live the life that we do, let alone, you know, yeah. everything else. So that, that resulted in us doing six months there. And then we ended up in California. And I'll never forget it, jumping off the plane. And we ended up in Beverly Hills of all places at the Cannondale um, bike shop there. Yeah. And we got two tandems that we'd pre-ordered them. And the plan was to cycle up to Santa Barbara and oh, then do yeah. like a little... Up the 101. Up the 101. <laughs> and we got on the bikes, man, and it was it was exhausting. We were on two tandems. I was behind my mom. My brother was behind my dad, and we just started. And the plan was to do three months around California, and that was it. Fly back to Australia and continue the life we were doing. But, yeah, it just kick-started this beautiful adventure. People were so happy to see us passing by. It kind of resulted in this um, this is blog called Crazy Guy on a Bike. Yeah. It's like one of the biggest forums for world travelers by bike. And we just had hundreds of people coming up to us every day. Just, hey, where's it? what's your Crazy Guy on a Bike blog? And my dad was just laughing it off the whole time. Eventually, we created this blog, just a little one called LA Cycling from LA Down to Mexico. And that eventually, when we crossed the border into Mexico, it eventually turned into, yeah, 12 years. So, fucking hell. <laughs> yeah. So, how... Like, how were you traveling at the time? Like, so getting on bikes, what did you, what, did you just get tents? Were you just camping? Like yeah, we had tents, like two tents. We had four pannier bags on each bike, They're like Ortley pannier bags. So yeah. they, they hook onto the racks. And we had our bag on the back, which had a laptop and our school gear and whatnot. And the other bike had all our clothing. And that's all we had, pretty much. And we were on a tight budget back then. It was about $35 a day for four of us. And, uh, yeah, we'd end up asking people if we could sleep in the gardens in, in the Western world. And once we crossed into Central, it would be, you know, a budget of $20 for a, for a nice little bungalow or something. And the rest was food. And that's how we lived. 
It was just town to town to town. Wow. Yeah. So, holy shit. Yeah. When, when, when you guys are like, so so three months in California, did you end up doing the three months? Three and then, months, And yeah. then pretty much just, you, they were just like, nah, let's go down to Max. Yeah, we're like, let's, just, let's cross Tijuana of all places. So, I wonder what the, what was the philosophy behind your parents like for kind of like, uh, I've just been thinking about this, this lately. I've just been, and I, I'm wondering if your parents... I've just, I was just having this thought the other day about like how, how common society is breaking the family up more. Mm-hmm. Like as in like mum goes to work as well, dad goes to work. So you've got these two taxpayers, mm-hmm. right? And then the children go and get put into the system yep. and get conditioned by someone else's thoughts where it used to be the mum stays home and the dad like works in their home as a family unit where they get to condition and set the ideas that they want into their children to grow into the world. Yeah. Did... Did your parents like have this like strong philosophy for you guys that they just wanted to like mold you into like who they wanted, like as in like into like kind of capable, strong humans? Was like that their thing? I suppose to a certain extent, yeah. I think they were learning a lot along the way themselves. You know, this is in retrospect, but like, you know, the throwing us into the deep end on the bikes and the amount of criticism that we, that my parents did receive from family, friends and, you know, society in general. It was was quite overwhelming initially, you know, and it was it was partially I think partially the big reason that we ended up going into Central America was because it was like you know fuck you to the rest of the world. Yeah, you know, we're just going to go and do this. And because like, in these are my kids, these are my yeah. my family. Like a, yeah, like I've got like, this. Like it's yeah, there's a thousand roads that lead to Rome in the end, you know. Yeah, and, and I think my parents were just like we're going to prove the world that there's there's a different way. You can you can still be free and travel and live the life that you dreamt of with or without kids. Yeah, you know? and you can also do that by while doing that instill like the knowledge that children need to survive in the world. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Plus, you know, like school in general. Isn't it, this is personally, but eighty percent of the stuff that I ever learned when I went to school, I never used. Yeah, it was like you know, basic math, basic English, etc. Those are the qualities that you yeah. do need in in life, but. So yeah. missing out on so much school and doing like homeschooling with your parents and then like when you did this, like we'll get a bit more into it in a second, but when you're coming down in South America and that, were they still homeschooling? Was it literally just like home, like the schooling was the life that you were living? So about 80% was definitely the life that we were living. We still, every week, we were sitting a couple of days a week after, but it's hard, you know, you cycle yeah. 80 kilometers, like you can't expect us then to sit down for six hours and start, you know, reading books and watching tutorials on some computer about, you know, algebra yeah like that didn't that was not part of the game but when we did stop in places we definitely did maintain a certain level of education my parents were pretty strict on that yes. you know we still needed to you know basically pass the grades that we needed to to progress to the following year but we weren't registered under any school yeah. we weren't registered under any you know formal education system at that point it was purely you know do what you have to do and try to maintain that status quo of society as well yeah and um I think the like, the older I got, the harder it got, you know, motivation-wise to actually just sit down and start learning stuff that I need to do for school. Um, it was like, like anyone, like, fuck, man, you're yeah. 10, 11, 12. Uh, man, I yeah. went surfing instead of going well, to school. Well, that's it, eh? It was like I could go surfing or hang out with some beautiful Brazilian girls on the beach or I could, mm. <laughs> you know, go in the room and study. So it was, yeah, there was a bit of a motivational clash halfway through, that, but that was majority when I was in Europe. That's once I'd already passed South America, those two and a half years. So yeah. So, so let's get into South America. So like when you, when you guys started riding down 
Are you just following the coast? Are you trying to surf? Do you, what are you carrying? Are you... Uh, we, we at that point it was purely bikes and camping gear, and uh, yeah, we were just we followed Baja California all the way down to the bottom there, crossed over to the mainland at Mazatlan, and then just backed all the way down to Guatemala along the coastline up to San Cristobal, and then crossed into Guatemala. We ended up staying in Lago Atitlan for like three months. I went to a local school there just for fun, just to learn Spanish a little bit with local kids. So that was a that was a big part for me as well. I remember arriving and saying to my parents, "There's no way I'm ever learning Spanish, like no yeah. way." My dad just bought me a football and a basketball and kicked us out and said, "Go play with the kids." Six months later, we were fluent. Yeah. You know, oh like, my god. And that's kind of like how how it progressed. When we went down through Guatemala, ended up in Honduras, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, and then we ended up flying from Costa Rica over to Ecuador to Quito. And then that started another year and a half all the way down. Were you... Yeah. There is so much to this. Oh, my God. This is just a huge trip because this is, this is a lifestyle. This is years and years. This isn't just like, oh, I went on this trip and this thing happened. It's just nah. like, this is like, this is just your life. It's... um. You guys are riding as a family and a white family. You know, you've got blonde hair, you've got blue eyes. Yep. You know, going down through, you know, from that part from Baja down back to the mainland of Mexico, you go, going down there, that's the part where they cut the cartel, cartel burnt yeah. those two Aussies. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, as a family, you guys are just on push bikes. You're super vulnerable. You're just sleeping on, you know, probably on the side of the road then or yeah. camping or just wherever. Yeah. It's like, are you, as a kid, for one, are you, are you like, have they warned you about the dangers of oh, that? Like, did you, were you ever nervous or like, how did your parents, was it fine? Like, was it? Mate, to be very honest with you, when it came to like feeling out, out of place and in danger, I think the majority of it was traffic and wild dogs more yeah. so than anything, you know, people wise, it was just, I think probably a big key to the success of Central and South America back then was the fact that we were a family and family is number one in those cultures. Yeah. So it takes a real low person to, you know, go and attack two young kids and a family who's on a bike yeah. let alone we're not like the average white people with a suitcase yeah. you know we look rough we've been cycling all day the people have automatic respect for you yeah. so that that generally it opened up more doors than closed did you ever so. get over it like as in like you're riding on the bike your dad's like oh yeah, we're riding 80k today like is it oh yeah were, and you're just like fuck i don't want to do that yeah there were plenty of days that we we cocked it halfway through you know like you could just feel your body getting exhausted and it's just that mental game and I think that's a big part where, you know, when it comes to work now, when I'm an adult, I just don't, like, work doesn't phase me if it's hard labor or whatnot. So I'm just used to pushing myself past yeah. that middle boundary. I call it the middle boundary of the day. Yeah. It's like when you're working hard and it's 12 o'clock and you're like, fuck me. Yeah. I just want to go home. That's the same when you're doing enduro sports or cycling for, per se. You hit that low point, your legs are wobbly, and then suddenly you click, it changes in your head, and you're just strong as an ox until the end of the yeah. day. So you, you got strong knees? Strong knees, they do crack now a bit. I don't know if that's to do with uh, skateboarding or if it has to do with uh, biking. Not yeah. too sure, but yeah, the, the bo body-wise, I never had any issues, to be honest. Yeah. Like, got strong. My peak was definitely when I was like 18. I was just like, I had two surf three surfboards on the back, a trailer, I had my own bike, and I was just cycling up and down mountains and nothing could stop me. I wouldn't even take a break. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so you, you guys are going down through like Mexico and everything. You're just going from place to place. You're speaking yep. Spanish. Yeah. You know, then you, you got to South America. Yeah. How do you, how was it going from Panama? Like, did you just go across the canal, get well, the boat across? No, nah, we flew. We flew from Costa Rica. Back then, Panama was a bit of a no-go zone. And you could take those boats with the with the Westerners over to Cartagena and Colombia. But our plan was to fly to Ecuador and then just 
go all the way down to Argentina or Ushuaia. And initially it was Ushuaia. Um, but yeah, we ended up just going to Quito and that's when we experienced the Amazon the first time because we got like right in the smack bang in the middle of the Andes, followed the Andes for about a couple hundred kilometers, which was intense, you know, with Riding altitude and sickness, whatnot, you know, your body has to get used to it. And then we got to, um, I forgot the name of the town, but we went all the way down into the Amazon and then cycled like a thousand kilometers through the Amazon and then ended up going back up the Andes and ending up at the border of Peru. We had the whole experience of the and uh, Andes dropping down into the Amazon, the Amazonian culture and whatnot. That was freaking amazing. And, the, and by this uh, stage, you're 13, you're 14. Yeah, I was 13, 13, yeah. Wow. My brother was 11 at the time. So we were still on the back of the tandems. At that point, we started getting a bit more notoriety as well. It's been like a year and a half on the trip. The, the website where people started noticing this family's gone for a long time. So started getting a few sponsors here and there. People, not no money involved. It was purely gear related, you yeah. know. So, Cannondale was the first one that sponsored us the bikes, and they were really? like, "If you ever want new bikes, we'll hook you up in return. Just take photos of you guys with the tandems up in the Andes with the you know local cultures. Send it to us, and that's all you need." Yeah. So we started doing little things like that, and yeah. So what was it like as you as a kid? You know, like say you get up into Peru in the mountains or Bolivia or whatever. Yeah. And you, you can speak Spanish, but you, you're still 12 and you just want to go play with kids and kick the soccer ball around. Yeah. We just did it. What was it? It was insane, man. Like we went to villages where they'd never seen white people before, yeah. let alone two little groms running around, you know. And what was it like to be able to intimately speak with people like that? Because like you're a 12-year-old grom who can speak Spanish or 13-year-old yeah. grom who can speak Spanish fluently now. Yeah. It's just like... It was eye-opening, man. It was eye-opening. I remember like especially with the Latin culture. I remember one of the main things was all the girls used to give you kisses on the cheeks when you said hello. Yeah. I remember that just rocked my world when I was 13. I was a little pest, you know, yeah. I just loved it. And just running around with the kids and making friends and there were ups and downs, you know, like kid, the older kids would get jealous, this and that, you know, we, yeah. we had to navigate our way around multiple situations. But I think that's part of, part of traveling, you know, yeah. you learn how to navigate. In these teen yeah. years, did you like ever get in trouble? Oh, with local boys there were some situations for sure yeah yeah definitely i over the whole south america experience i think we had one gnarly situation where it was as a family involved we we're up in um potosi um just cycled the salada de uni um, oh salada de uni yeah. like the north but south of bolivia north of chile yeah i've been through there we full drive through there yeah yeah so we cycled it wow um, and yeah we were about 150 k's in the middle of that parked up at one of those little oasis islands that they have with the cactuses oh, with the cactuses yeah, yeah in the middle yeah. yeah so we camped there for the night had a fire and whatnot we backtracked the next day and we're cycling we get back to one of those little villages about 45 kilometers from potosi and it was about four in the afternoon and the second we pulled in there was this car and i remember it like, just beeping its horn you know you can sense that someone's aggressive inside yeah so we started cycling and this car just fully revved the thing and nearly hit me and my mum. like fully just skidded out just before and touched our back wheel and my dad's black belt in judo um and so he's but he's a big pacifist like he hates it but he, so he's just trying to talk it out and this guy's just yelling at us you know fuck you gringos get the hell out of here and of course we're, my my dad's freaking out because he's like this guy's gonna ram us we start cycling again. Do you know what his problem was? Well, this is the fun thing. He, like, he literally did it again. And this time he actually hit the back of the bike of my mom. So my dad freaks out, grabs it, grabs the door open of this guy, like pulls him out of the car, goes in to grab his keys, realize the car's been hot wired. So he just pulls the wires apart, throws him on the ground. And this guy like instantly pisses himself. He was smack drunk. 
like completely wasted. Of course, half of the village is coming out at that moment, and that makes it up for an awkward situation. Yeah, especially because yeah, the local against the gringo. Well, that's yeah, it. yeah. Um, but they had no clue who he was, so they just locked him up in one of the adobe huts. And then my dad said, "Do not let him out for another three hours until we make it to Potosi, because the last thing you want is on one of these salt roads, and then suddenly this car comes at 150 k's an hour." Yeah, and that was that was one of the more scary rides of 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 the trip, most definitely. So you're sitting there like that for the next three hours. We use just like paddle, just punch it, just punch it, get to Potosi, make it into the town. Yeah, there's moments like that, you know, that that were way more scary. I got rubbed at knife point once with my brother. Um, I was. I would have been 14 at the time just come back from Brazil we're in uh, Cochabamba which is in Bolivia and we had just been doing a project in the Amazon building a house for this girl that had cancer she got a leg amputated we met her in the hospital I had the biggest smile and the most beautiful eyes we're like we cannot let her go she had no mum nothing no one came with her she had to make that hard decision to get amputated which was like 13 all by herself the nuns took her out she had like a like a soccer ball sized tumour on her leg they just dropped her off at some random hospital where she'd never been to. No mom, no contact, no nothing. And oh my God, it's heartbreaking. Got, yeah, it was hardcore. And then we asked her what her dream was and she just said, mejorar mi casa, which means make my house better. She, she knew if she goes back there and lives in the dirt, her immune system after chemo and whatnot, she'd pass away for sure. So we ended up just flying to the Amazon and building her house there and fresh water, electricity, things that they needed. And uh, two weeks later, she got the confirmation she was cured from cancer as well. Oh, wow. Yeah. How'd you find her in the first place? It's a long story. It was like we were just staying at this hotel. I was going on and off to this international school there doing a little presentation to show kids that it was a different way, and uh, which was always nerve-wracking at that age, um, talking to like 16-year-old kids. I was 14. Yeah. Um, but they invited us over to this charity event, and there they were, they were doing it for cancer patients, and they asked us if we would be willing to come to the hospital and hang out with some of the kids. So we went as a family there, and we found Mariella laying in the corner there. She's like with the biggest smile, man. I'll never forget it. She wow. just had a leg amputated. She's still riddled with cancer. And she was just smiling her head off in the corner. And we're like, that's the chick, you know. Oh. But the beauty of the whole story was like, the, you know, the power of the mind and helping out and giving a bit of hope. The doctor herself said it, you know, cured her up. Yeah. yeah. So seeing things like this at such a young age, like seeing the harshness of the world, the brutality of the world, the... um despair the the class difference mm -hmm. in the world like what was it teaching you like when you that's a, that's a deep it's one, a eh? deep question a yeah because i was just like it's 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 been hard for me being back in indonesia you know i lived here for six years and you know seeing just that because I, I, back in australia you know i live off grid and and i kind of just want to be out of society and just be in nature and just grow my food and just i just don't that's just my thing you know yeah. and i just this is my thing and being back in indonesia has reminded me why that is so much it's because i want to be the change i want to see in the world and it's just like this garbage here mm. everywhere like it's just how much littered you go you go snorkeling and or i like go diving mm. And just the ocean is just filled with garbage. Yeah, you're shocking. seeing turtles everywhere and you're like, whoa, look what we've done to the world. Oh, for sure. You're seeing like, um, you know, there's a lot of poverty. There's, you know, everything. And it just like hurts your heart. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's just like, you know, because it, and it's reminded me so much of like, oh, okay, that's right. That's why I want to live off grid. That's why I want to do this. That's why I want to tell stories like this. Yeah, absolutely. You know what I mean? It helps spread love in the world. But it's like, if you, as a kid, like like seeing like such like seeing like a girl like do you, 
realize how lucky uh, we, yeah it, not only how lucky also i i actually got so used to living off of such a small budget and being surrounded by that that when i went back to the western world i was not in place for a good six months like mm. i felt completely out of place um yeah. it, there's there's yeah i spent it was i think i did count up out of those 12 years i spent eight years in third world countries i didn't go back to a western world for multiple years at a time and every time i came back it was yeah it was it was hard to swallow yeah hard to swallow people don't take everyone takes shit for granted no one yeah. looks you in the eyes you know yeah there's a there's a la- there's a big lack of, of we, we waste a lot yeah in the west there's a lot of wastage with food there's a lot of like people don't have people don't realize it anymore yeah that's the thing you know they've lost there's there's it also goes into the value ratio you Mm. know people don't have faith anymore i'm not religious i'm 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 just jesse yeah but people don't look each other in the eyes they don't help each other you know Mm. i know people who live next to the same neighbor for 20 years don't even know what his fucking name is yeah yeah it's so it's like yeah even the 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 street that I grew up in, yeah. it's like we played on the street the whole time. Yeah. We knew everyone in the street, always out, me and my mates, always out the front, kicking the ball, playing playing tennis on the road. Yeah. There is no way I'd let someone play, a grom play tennis on the road now. Cars just come flying up know. and down. No one knows everyone. Yeah. You don't know who the neighbours are anymore. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think it's so important to spend time in those, in third world countries. People trip out. Like I tell people, I'm like, oh yeah, we eat roadkill. Mm like they freak mm. or like that i build my house out of recycled material someone's pulling something down you're like no like i i have this thing that like of like why would i buy something new that i could get second hand and reuse it when all that energy has to go back into making that again and for what that does to the environment yeah. but also like when it comes to like roadkill someone fucking it's like Oh, I do the same. Yeah, someone 100%. instantly hit, hits some poor animal yeah. and it's and it's gone. But that, like, there's wasted meat there. It's a fresh kill, exactly. and it's a um, hum- like it's. When I was about to say humane, but it's, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it's humane. But it's like it's like something that was there and then without knowing it, it's gone. It's, yeah. It hasn't lined up in the abattoir for ages, like shitting itself and yeah. freaking out and all that fear and everything. Well, that's it's it. just like a suddenly like. You know, Rue's been blinded by the lights and it's been yeah. hit. And then um, we're getting people freak out about it. I, always, I constantly think about how disconnected we are sure. to the natural world, to the environment, to... It's like apples. Like, you go to the grocery store and all the fruit is so fucking perfect. Yeah. And you would know from being in third yeah. world countries or being on any farms or any, like, place where they're growing their food. Yeah. It ain't look like that. Nah, definitely not. Shiny. You know what I mean? <laughs> and it don't, and people think, like, if you get an apple with a bit, like, odd, you're like, people are like, ugh, like, yeah. I don't want that. I'm like, that's a fucking, like... Yeah real apple yeah we've breeded a we've breeded a breed of pussies yeah that's for sure yeah for sure well just we're just so disconnected oh, absolutely and the thing about like you know living how you're living right mm. you're riding along a bike you're like such a low budget you know roughing it staying wherever sleeping wherever yep. camping wherever eating whatever yep. right it's like i i get the transition going back into suddenly like you're just the thing is, it's like your appreciation for anything. You get a good meal, you appreciate it. You get a good bed, you appreciate it. And you mm. come back to the West and people are like, eh, well, that's it. No, nah, I don't, I don't like that. It's yeah. like, oh, there's a spider in the corner. Yeah. Like, fuck man. It's like, a classic fly in your soup and then the soup's ruined. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just, yeah, it's out of control. It took, it, it was a big eye opener, to be honest, when I got back, like after South America, especially. Yeah, it took me a good six months in Europe to, you know, acclimatize and become I don't know, borderline Western again. Did you did you uh, feel when you did first go back? Did you feel super out of place with the other kids your age? 
Oh, there was definitely a huge gap. Yeah, yeah. I think the the biggest thing that I noticed was that there was a lot of things that people just don't care anymore, or or the new generation just don't care. Like yeah. I'd come and I always put myself in their shoes. It's like you sit in the same town, same people, same friends for the last fifteen years, and then you get a kid coming in same age as you who hasn't done any of that, who just comes from two and a half years cycling around South America, cycling through Europe at the same time, and you tell that story for five minutes just briefly. And it would always go back to the same teenage discussions, you know, smoking, sex, and whatever else that, that goes on in their lives. There was no deep insights. Mm. There was no questioning. There was just like, oh, sick, you cycle around the world, and that's mm. pretty much it. Yeah. And so like, you realize that at a young age that, you know, uh, it's also that competitive stuff. If people don't relate to you or they see, they see like more knowledge as a compet- like competition kind of thing, yeah. and they become distant, yeah. distant after they hear your story, like it- they just can't relate. I had that when I was a little kid already, you know, arriving in backpacker hostels, littered with people between the age of 18 and, say, 30, and I'm there at the age of 13. We'd share a beautiful night with these guys just talking about travels and whatnot. Next day, they'd nearly ignore us, like, just because they felt in competition. They couldn't relate. Yeah. yeah. So I learned at a young age, you, you pick and choose who you tell your stories to. Oh, you shit. Know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's funny, I suppose, because every kid has its struggle. Yeah. Every kid, no matter what situation a kid grows up in, there's always that, like, learning of how to find their place in the world or how to read people or how to relate to people, mm. you know? Do you find, like, do you have good social skills? Because I find that you do, but I mean, like, do you, yeah. like... Yeah, it's the, one of the things I pride myself on, you know? I can communicate in seven different languages. I love mm. sharing. I love talking. Yeah. I think that's one thing that, that, that opens the world, you know? Yeah. Keep sharing. It's funny. A, a mate of mine, he's, um, he's traveling right now. And, I, like, he, he struggles to go up and meet people. I'm like, this is what you got to do, traveling. It's like that whole story. Because no one knows you. You can be anyone. Exactly. And so you can, like, you can literally just walk up to anyone and say hi. Yeah. Because it doesn't matter. They're not going to, if they turn and fucking judge you, that's their problem. Well, exactly. But I'm like, you're here now to express an experience. This is the whole thing about, like, why traveling opens you like you just said before it's like you you had trouble relating because how you had been growing up by traveling Mm -hmm. by opening your eyes to so many different cultures so many different ways of living that you found it hard to relate to other kids your age because they there was no depth there's no depth yeah you know and that lasted until until the early 20s i reckon really yeah yeah i was majority of the people that i talked to or shared stories to were plus 25 you know people Mm. actually wanted to listen get to that age group you know where the bullshit kind of gets put on the side and you start seeing life for what it is so yeah between the age of 15 and 18 majority of the people i hung out with were quite quite a fair bit older than i was and then then finally you know now at this i'm 26 now and it's slowly slowly people are of my age are starting to care a bit more you know Mm. getting to that point where life moves on and yeah well now they're they're it's like they're more open to acceptance and their own desire so it's like now you can teach them like as in by just by your your story can inspire them Mm -hmm. where before it was like too far away yeah you know what i mean yeah it's too far away away for them because it's like the the fear of like doing that when you're so young or whatever it's just like because it's so foreign Mm. so so what happened when you got robbed Oh, knife yeah. point. Yeah. Well, uh, I was, um, this was, yeah, it would have been about six o'clock at night, met these two nice little Latin girls. We, me and my brother took them to the cinema. We watched a movie, came out, and um, we were walking down the street. It was only like five blocks from the hotel. It would have been 7.30 at night. And I had like one of those little warong places on the side of the road where you could go buy a Coke or whatever. And I had 20 pesos or 50 pesos in my pocket, which was equivalent of 20 Australian bucks, mm. which is a lot of money for there. And my dad had given it to me and I was like, all right. So hey. you could take the girls on a date. Pretty much, yeah. And so no, I was no. like, 
I had this left over and I went, hey, you guys want a Coke? Like, yeah, yeah. So we end up at this warung and I pull out the 50 cows, like, hey, por favor, four Cokes. And she goes, sorry, I don't have change for that amount of money. I was like, oh, it's all right. I put the money back in my pocket. You know, when you get that six cents or seven cents, you feel like someone's walking behind you. Mm. After about two minutes, I had that feeling and I turn around instantly, three blokes, they would have been in their mid twenties, you know, big Latin dudes. I'm just a little 14 year old kid with these two Latin girls. They walk up to me and they say in Spanish, they're like, give us your 50 pesos. And I was like, nah, I don't have any 50 pesos on me in Spanish. And I started trying to mellow the situation out by speaking in Spanish. And he just looked at me and he grabs my brother and he put, he just instantly grabs his little knife and puts it right on my neck. And he says, I know you got the 50 pesos. And this is where the story changes a bit. I gave him the 50 pesos. I had a wallet, I had a phone in my pocket. They didn't want any of that. They just wanted the 50 uh, pesos. And I asked him right when he took the knife down, I was like, why are you doing this, man? And he's like, I have to feed my family. And I said, you could have just asked me. Yeah. And the second I said that, his whole demeanor and all of the other guys completely dropped down. He actually apologized. He was like, I'm sorry. He was like, I did not want to do this. He said, but I need this 50 pesos. And he was like, next time I'll try to do it differently. And he walked off. It was a piece, piece, you know, not saying that I wasn't shaking or anything. But, yeah. you know, when you change the, 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 you know, the direction of a, of a situation like that yeah. by just saying you could have just asked. It really, really played a big part in, in them just walking away and acting like nothing ever happened. Oh, wow. So, yeah. Wow. That was one of them. I've never had many rubs. That was probably the only major one that I ever had. Yeah. You know. uh, after that, but did it make you more on your toes? Like, what did you feel? Because, you know, like sometimes you start getting complacent, you know, you start feeling safe and that. Probably didn't walk around at 7.30 at night anymore for a week or two. Yeah. But after that, it just shot straight back in. Because you can't, you can't lose hope in humanity, you know. It's just like mm. three blokes stole. I didn't get hurt. It was 20, 50 bucks. In the end, just give him what you want. We, all, we always had that, for, like, opinion if we were to get kidnapped or if they wanted our bikes or anything. Yeah. It's material. Just give it. Yeah. We got robbed in Mexico when I was there last. And it was my fourth trip to Mex. Never had any problems. I've seen, seen problems before and people get robbed and everything it hired, hired this car and we're just driving back and we stopped to check the surf and yeah. we went down check the surf or whatever we came back to the car park window smashed um uh, i had put my stuff in the boot yeah but my friends put their stuff in the back and I, that was just me i don't like i just thought that like don't leave it visible yeah anyway they had smashed the window taken the stuff and i just oh, thought straight away they only want fucking money yeah and credit cards or whatever and i'm like this shit will be in the bush somewhere so we just started running through the bush and everyone's like what are you doing i'm like they'd be in the bush like, we've only yeah. been you know what, gone for five minutes ran we ran through the bush ended up finding a pile of stuff like the bag where everything ripped out yeah laptop gone she had a laptop for some reason one of our friends but passport and everything was there credit cards were there just money and the laptop yeah. was gone and it was an old laptop or whatever, but she was freaking. She was like, nah, I'm going back to Australia. I can't handle this. And I was yeah. like, mate, you're in Mexico. Yeah. And you left your bag like visible in a car, like with a laptop. Like yeah. it's like that is, of course you're going to get robbed. Yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. It's just like, it's not that it's like, you just, yeah, I know, I know it's different to Australia. Like you can leave your laptop sitting in the front seat of your car and it won't mm. get broken into, but some places it will. And mm. like where it will, you don't do it. Well, that's it. Uh, you know what I mean? Sense. It's just like, yeah, it's just like common yeah. sense. Like we're in Mexico now, but how scared she was. And she was just like, no, I'm going back to Australia. Yeah. And it was like trying to um, convince her that it's okay. Like, you know, it's mm. just like, you got travel insurance. That's what, that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, I was telling her, I was like, you don't, don't you realize that, 
I'll say your phone got stolen and I'll yeah, say yeah. your um, camera was in that bag. You know what I mean? The police are coming right now. You've got to do a report. Yeah. Not just your laptop got stolen, yeah, well, you know. It. Like, I'll make it work for you. And, yeah. Um, yeah, but it was just funny, like, how much he freaked. Yeah. It always boils down back to that same, you know, experience. You know? Yeah. And once you've had it once, you'll know how to deal with it after. Yeah. That's how I see it. So... Yeah. What was it? So when when you went down through, so where did you actually ride from? Like you went down through Salida Uni. Once you're in South America. Yeah. So we went. We basically did Ecuador down through the Amazons, back up to Peru, back down into Peru, followed the coastline of Peru, then ended up. It was in Trujillo. Did the Canyon del Pato up to Huaraz, and then we followed Huaraz all the way to um, to what's it called again? Um, uh, Lago Titicaca. Lake uh, Titicaca, yeah, yeah like in Peru, all, I've been there. All the way through the Andes, like just up and down. I think it was like 14 peaks we did over the time. That was that was a hectic ride. It took us like six months Wow. over the Andes, yeah. And in the Andes, were you just staying in like hostels or camping? Hostels, local places, camping, the whole nine yards, yeah. yeah. It depends how high we were altitude-wise. Like most of the times we could reach from one village to the next and they've always got like a little truck stop where there's a little room. Quality of them was shocking sometimes, but... You know, yeah. you do what you can for a roof over your head. Um, but the second we'd do, like, major passes and whatnot, you'd get on little dirt roads and go up to 4,900 metres, 5,000 metres. It's nothing there. Yeah. So we'd camp. And that's where, like, Death Road and everything is too. Mm -hmm. Like, people go all the way there to, to bike those roads. Yeah. And they're super dangerous. Yeah. So you guys as a family. Well, we had one gnarly situation up in in. Peru we did the Huascaran National Park and it was a three-day bike ride to get up to the peak and then you drop down the other side just like one day downhill three days up and on the second day we parked up and I'll never forget it was like right before glacier slept the night woke up in the morning it was snowing it was it was fucked bad yeah. weather pack up everything start cycling we did another four hours to do like five kilometers it was that gnarly the road the tires were slipping we had to push it was it was extremely cold we reached the summit, I think it was like 5,200 or 4,900 meters around there. And we thought that was the end of it. We're like, all right, we're going to go down now. So we start descending. We go, it would have been 10 kilometers, like zigzagging down. And then started climbing again. Like, shit, it's three o'clock in the Arvo. We could see these dark clouds coming. And um, my dad's like, hey, we got to hurry up now. Start pushing. So we're pushing, pushing, pushing. And I'll never forget it, man. The creeks like the water that was running down the road froze within a matter of like five seconds wow. it just went like you could see it like crippling along and the temperature went from being like 10 degrees or maybe five degrees it dropped straight down to minus 20 because you're down just, in the valley too so all the cold air just, just coming straight in in the cold well and yeah we got in a bad blizzard and we didn't have good gear for that um we had my mum was wearing her normal bike gloves so still with the fingers out and me and my dad and my brother, we'd bought these um, construction gloves and they had like rubber on the bottom and wool on the top. It was keeping us nice and warm, but we didn't realize that the, like the snow was landing on the actual uh, wool and then it would melt into the rubber and it was like water. Yeah. And when it hit freaking minus 20, it froze around our fingers. And it was like probably 15 minutes into this blizzard, I was crying. My brother as well, my mom and dad were crying. It was just pure pain. You know, like, and then just pushing. My dad was getting pretty scared. He's like, oh, if this, if we're not going to make it to the top and start going down fast, we're going to have to find a rock and just snuggle, you know, and ride it out. And uh, we eventually made it. But when we made it down the hill, we took off our gloves and we all ended up having, like, stage two of frostbite. My brother, oh, me, and my dad. And the only one who didn't have it was my mum, and she was the one with open, open gloves. You're kidding. Yeah, yeah. So it was like I, couldn't, I could stick a needle in my fingers for, like, a good month and wouldn't feel anything. 
Wow. Yeah, it was gnarly. Now I, now I definitely get like why you say you can push yourself through extreme situations because yeah. you're doing this constantly as like a 13 year old. Yeah. I, I, my, my Mrs. Shelby, she wants to um, have kids like in like a year. And I told her that, that I've got like, yeah, I, I said, I've got um, two things that if we, we do that, these are like my, um, fuck, what's the wording? Surfed all day. Like, reg- what's the word? Like my regulations to do it what's the word i'm yeah, looking for um, you know what i mean it's like yeah. these are my my um on my terms yeah 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 this is, these are my terms and, and uh and she goes what are they i said oh when they're like two three i want to you know drive around australia on a bus for like a year to two like at least like Beautiful. minimum a year you know what i mean yeah so exactly like just to kind of just give the the kids the that diversity you know absolutely and then she goes, what else? And I go, well, when they're like 10, 12, around that age, you get a sailboat and just go sailing. That's a dream. Go man. sailing around the world. It's like, because it makes kids so fucking capable. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, look at Groms. Like, I, I'm i fortunate that I live in an off-grid community that all the kids in the community are just out playing in nature, jumping off dams, going surfing, they're out yeah. and doing it. And then I go up to the Goldie. Man, I see the Groms just like on ipads oh, just being little pussies and oh, that's man. the thing it's like it's bad you know what i mean like kids are turning into pussies oh, like fall off your bike and like yeah just the new get generation's up and, like, fucked yeah i'm um, not not to not to put it super bad but yeah it's it's i'm, I'm terribly worried about the new generation like because yeah, it's like if you fell off your bike when you're like in the middle of nowhere you had to get up and ride it yeah keep going you know what yeah. i mean and so yeah. it's like i used to do this thing when my little um cousins were living with us when they were like two and three, uh, they loved Power Rangers at the time. They loved the Pink Power Ranger, and they'd be like crying. Oh, I mean, like we'd be playing like soccer, or whatever. And one of them like hurt hurt themselves or just like a little bit, and start crying and like yeah. look for daddy. Yeah. And if my uncle was there, he'd like just smother him, you know. Yeah. And um, I'd always be like, oh no, you've hurt yourself. Okay, well you've you better um you better sit to the side, you know, yeah. like, and, and we'll keep playing, you know, and, until you're better. Yeah. And they're like, suddenly the tears will go, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine, no, I can keep playing. Yeah. And I always say to them, well, the peak Power Ranger would keep playing, eh? Hey? Like, yeah, well, you know, and they'll always just suck it up and they'll be fine. Yeah. But if, like, their da- dad was there, I'm not saying anything, my uncle's a good, good dad, but um, yeah. they will just, you know, the tears would just go on, just would not stop until they get all the hugs and cuddles. Yeah, and yeah. I was just like, some of that tough love, I think, is like, extremely important yeah it's it's, yeah and like not to be brutal in in any way but it's just like it's just more putting in those situations it's like that's what i I was saying to shelby like man we put groms in situations where we're on a boat Mm. and we're in a storm and stuff and you just got to pull the ropes yeah well you've got to do it that's what's happening you just got to do it it's just like you learn pretty you learn pretty quickly to step up when you need to step up you learn pretty quickly to cruise when you need to cruise you have fun yeah you have a lot of fun that's yeah. a, that was the main thing for me as a kid. It was just all fun. Yeah. It was like a big playground the whole world. You know, I didn't have any adult responsibilities at that point yet. There was no money involved. I was just having fun. Cycling, climbing rocks, meeting girls, whatever it was, it was just fun. Wow. It never stopped. It was just one big playground. And so your your parents, did they just save up money to do this whole trip or like They got pretty lucky. Then we would come from my parents don't have much money at all. But they did once it was in two thousand and three, I think it was, they bought a block of land for sixty K off of uh, Lake Eacham up in northern uh, northern Queensland and they held on to it for two years and sold it for two forty. Oh wow. So it was like right when the real estate started jumping and yeah. I mean now if they would have sold it, it would be way more but back then it was 240k and that was eight percent interest 
So we lived off of 8% interest for about eight years, I think it was. It was $40 or $38 a day. Oh. So aside from like, you know, the, the expenses of flights and, and getting clothes and whatnot, it was pretty much we were living for free off the bank. Yeah. So that was that. But then after that, yeah, after those eight years, the interest dropped, went straight down to 2% or mm. whatever it is now. And uh, that's when my parents had to figure out a different way of doing things. Did you ever see going back to the Western world, yeah, suddenly you come back into that class you know, I, I see this sometimes too, you know, like, you, you know, I drive a big old Land Cruiser and stuff. And I went down to Sydney the other week and like, you know, I just, I don't know, you just be pretty rough or whatever. And then you have someone rock up next to you in an Audi and just like yeah. look down. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah. think you're some bum. <laughs> you're like, oh, whatever, dude, it's yeah. not my story. But like, do, with you guys as a family living off 40-day budget, I know you said like you, you had that, um, like, <clears throat> where other family or friends or you know would kind of like judge you on it but like mm. going back like when you went back to the western world people were like oh yeah people didn't believe us well, yeah, right. well, a lot of people didn't believe us when my parents would say yeah we got like well in europe it was even less it would have been what 20 20 odd euros a day you know with currency exchange so wait once you still went to europe you still they still kept that budget yeah absolutely we did it the whole way through yeah we never stopped wow yeah. how the, how okay so where would 20 euro a day go uh, it would go straight to Lidl or Aldi, like the cheapest supermarket, get as much food as you can, and then we'd either camp. But the, the story about Europe turned into an incredible one because we flew into Greece, and um, it was the end of winter. With your push bikes? With our push bikes, with the tandems still back then. This was just before we migrated into single bikes. But, um, yeah, we flew into Greece. We cycled the Peloponneses for a month. We took the boat from Patras to Ancona in Italy, and we arrived at Ancona at like 4 in the Arvo. I remember cycling down the road and there was like on the beach all these little bars getting built and um, my dad goes up to one of the owners he says hey do you mind if we pitch up our tent in like the half built building there and he goes what do you mean pitch up the tent he was like you could just go to the church and my dad goes hey look we're not poor you know like <laughs> we, can, we can afford to go to a damn hotel this is a, this is a philosophy of life this is the way that we travel he's like we're just looking for a place to crash for the night and then we move on and he says no 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 you're on the pilgrim route at the moment you can stay at the church for free and my dad's once again we were, we were skeptical you know like we don't necessarily want to go stay at a church but he calls up the priest the priest comes and picks us up we follow him with the car it brings us to this massive apartment right next to this beautiful church and he's like you can stay as long as you want and then he gives us this pilgrim book this little pilgrim passport it's like eight pages big and they give a stamp of each like monastery or whatever or church or convent and he goes where are you going tomorrow we're like oh we're going 80 kilometers up the road he's like one second grabs his phone calls the next church and it created a snowball effect and we literally did far out i think it was about three and a half years throughout a span of six years sleeping in churches for free all around europe never needed to pay anything we got like letters of recommendations from different priests and th the life stories I heard there, man, it was incredible. Like I'm not religious at all. I'm spiritual, if anything. Yeah. But uh, the you know seeing seeing the you know the monks to the to the sisters to the priests, their life stories, where they've all been, why and how they got there, and then the absolute dedication to helping people was quite admirable actually mm. in retrospect but yeah walks of life of all different stories and that create yeah pretty much everywhere we went we could just go knock on the church door wait for the priest to come and just show him one of the letters and say we've been cycling around europe for the last year and a half this is a story that'll be written in whatever language he needed and bang he'll be like yeah i've got a little church hole here or i've got a shower here and 
You're kidding. Yeah. We never needed to go to any masses. It was yeah, like, that, was, that, was, that was my next question. Did you start like going yeah, to... I went to a couple, you know, like yeah. if, if, if it was, if, if, if the, the priest really like, it, like wanted to do that, we'd go. But 99% of the time it was just, yeah, here's the door. Here's the key. Leave whenever you want. Uh, wow me and my brother would just go out partying man like we'd go in, we would end up in like marseille in france and end up like right in the center at the church the door next the house next door is owned by the church and they just give us the top floor and like me and my brother would just go out and party all night and come back at three in the morning and then leave the next day wow yeah hang out with the with the with the sisters sometimes like my 18th birthday was spent in a convent we got locked in man it was a crazy story. I was like so excited for my 18th birthday, cycling through France. We end up in this little village. There's parties going on everywhere, middle of summer. You could hear the music, everyone on the streets. End up waiting an hour and a half in front of this ch uh, church for the priest to come. And he comes down and he goes, oh, there's a convent like a couple of blocks up with all the, with all the sisters, the nuns. He's like, you guys can crash there for sure. So we get there, this old lady opens up, a Brazilian nun. She's like, hey, hello, does the cross and whatnot brings us upstairs all the sisters come around me it was like 50 of them and they all just held my hands and sang happy birthday for me <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like sweet thank you blah 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 we pitch up have a shower i get all my clothes on i'm ready to go out get to the door and she goes now nah, sorry the, con the convent's locked from seven till seven no so i ended up spending my 18th birthday in a convent man. oh my god yeah. <laughs> did you ever any ever have any of the girls give you the eye oh yeah <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> man there's, there's there's some funny stories in that scene like how'd you lose your virginity um <laughs> yeah 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 Con that's so funny. but yeah the, the story of europe was just amazing like it kind of pr proved to all of us i think that you know if you want to do it differently you can you can still do it and you can always camp you know but camping you're always limited you end up being 20ks outside of a town mm. pitched up in some forest like european forests aren't that great either for camping so yeah the church the church in general was just a great option for us so when you were traveling did you like with europe i suppose you started knowing where you're going to to sleep but like did you ever have it where it didn't work out like oh, yeah. like you you know you had it off like obviously you're just trusting in the universe that it always is going to work out yep and it always does. And it always does. Hey, this is I just love it. Always freaking does. It does. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, I was up in Java. I think I might have told this story on the podcast before, but I was up in Java, and we're getting a bus going to Batu Karas. Yeah. This way, and you had to go to this town called um, Pertigaran. Pertigaran first, and um, the bus was supposed to get there at like six in the morning. It was supposed to be an overnight bus. But it left early. I remember getting the call, like, the bus is leaving. We're like, what? It was like six hours early. So anyway, we arrive at like 2 a.m. in this, like, little village. Yeah. There's no, like, it's a village. There's no hotels around, no nothing. But from there, it's like another hour bike ride that you got to get to to go to the place we're going. Yeah. And so I start walking around looking for a place to sleep. And it was all, like, paddocks, you know, but big, long grass and everything and snakes and mosquitoes and... And I had my girlfriend, I was like, fuck, this ain't going to do. Because I don't mind just, you know, face planting some sidewalk, just yeah, sleeping, yeah. sleeping anywhere. And then um, I see the mosque. Yeah. And so I walk up to the mosque and I was like, hey, like, looking for a place to sleep. And the guy's like, just sleep in the, in the mosque. Yeah. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So we go in, put my surfboards down, me and my, my um, ex-girlfriend, we lay down. I put the eye mask on. Yeah. And we just go to sleep. Yeah. Next thing, I had this feeling like people are around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and 
So I wake up in the morning, it's about oh no, a couple of hours later, probably about 4 or 5 a.m. Yeah. And I just lift up my eye patch yeah. and look around. The whole room's just filled with like people with their, with their forehead to the floor because it's the middle of Ramadan. Oh, yeah, right. And they're doing their morning like a mass no and we're way. just gone in. And everyone just did, did their prayer around us. Yeah, it was yeah. sweet. I woke up in the morning. I was just so you know, I was freaking. Like I put it back down. Yeah, just, I just remember thinking, just go to sleep because <laughs> I didn't want to move too much because I didn't want let, um like Lexi to wake up and yeah. freak out. Oh. oh, that's an epic story though. No, but it always just works out. It does, yeah. You know what I mean? And the thing about hospitality too, it's like when you're doing anything, like when you're going for it or actually doing something, you're doing something different, people open their doors oh, to absolutely. you. Absolutely. So especially like the funny, th- that's a funny thing about religion in general, you know, it's like most, most of them now, it's a, like faith in general is a dying mm. thing around the world, mm. you know, and faith Sadly. is, a, it's, a, it's a broad reach term as well because faith mm. can be under anything. Yeah. But, yeah, like to be honest, I feel sad for people that don't have any faith. Oh yeah, same. You know what I mean? Because I think there's a deeper meaning to everything, a deeper Absolutely. meaning in life, and like there's a spiritual sense to anything. <clears throat> whatever your modality of that, that's just it, and it's all right. Exactly. You know what I mean? If like whatever you believe, that's literally is what it is. Mm. But it's like the power that it has to. I remember and um. So, yeah, I've done a couple different ones before, like in meditation circles. And I remember, like, oh, when I did Vipassana, it's like you had to drop any religion you you had and, like, picture yourself as your own God. Yep. So then, like, you're your avatar. Yep. So you're kind to, you're kind of like um, using the inner strength. But then there's, I've done another one where it's like you didn't have that inner strength that you had to use. This This one was in oneness meditation. We're using Bhagavan, like this avatar, like this Indian um, guru dude. And using his strength to help your strength, to lift your spirit, to become your own God. Yeah, right. And it's like, sometimes you just need that. Yeah. Sometimes you need a higher thing to, to kind of like channel the power to bring your Absolutely. power into f- fruition or to into um, growth or whatever, or into to, to, for it to flourish. Yeah, it's exactly. just like, I don't know. I, I just think that there's so much going on in this beautiful universe that it's just like, it's just like, we're pretty blessed. I know, but it's just like, you know, it's just to, for it to only be this. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. It's like, nah. It's pretty closed-minded in my opinion. Yeah, but, super closed-minded. Right. And as soon as you do like any meditation, breath work, DMT, acid, yeah. ayahuasca, it's just like mushrooms is a huge one. Huge just how one, much yeah. you connect to everything, you know what I mean? Yeah. You just feel, you know, my, my missus just came out of a, you know, she's just been sitting in a three-day ayah ceremony and she's just straight up she just called me this morning she said yeah like i i um well we started talking about at the start of this you know she just she hasn't been looking after herself enough it's like the medicine just told her that what she needs where she's sick where she where she's not looking after herself where she needs to um to to look after herself better you know what areas to work on it's just like it's just where's that knowledge (laughs) coming from that's the beauty about traveling though as well eh? you did those things come up come on your path well, it makes you so open-minded. Absolutely. Because the thing is, I often think about this, it's like when I meet closed-minded people, it's like, for one, I'm like, who hurt you? Yeah. Who hurt them? Or then yeah. it was either that or then it's like, they just haven't seen. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? The, without the knowledge, like, it's like, of course they don't know. And mm-hmm. So it's like, when you travel, it's like, what would you say to someone that's young and wants to travel? Like, what would you say how it would benefit them? It would benefit them in every single way. It would be the one thing that would make them come back and be able to reevaluate. 
in my opinion. It's like, I say that to everyone who asks me. It's like, before you do anything in your life, go and spend some time in a third world country. Yeah. Go and enjoy. Put yourself in awkward situations. See how beautiful people are in general mm. and how beautiful nature is and how much you get from that. And then come back and base a decision. Yeah. At least that way, no matter, even if you end up having a nice comfy chair in a house for the rest of your life, you'll be always open to someone coming and knocking on your door from yeah. that moment onwards. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge part in yeah. life, you know? So when you left South America and then you went to Greece and then across to Italy, mm-hmm. so you, by this stage you can speak fluent Spanish. I spoke fluent Spanish, yeah. So then going into Italy where um, Italy, like Italian, so close to Spanish. Yeah. Was that, were you able to then take it across? Yeah, very quickly. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that first trip, we only spent, we cycled quite quickly from Greece all the way up to Holland. Um, we did that in about, I think it was about eight months or nine months. It's not, it's not that quick, but yeah, quick enough for us. We ended up going over to Asia then and spent two years cycling around Southeast Asia. Um, so we only did a short stint in Europe on that one trip. But just before we went to Asia, um, when we arrived in Holland, Cannondale gave us four new bikes. So that was a step where my brother and I migrated away from the tandems and got our own bikes. And we got trailers on the back. And Sick. that's where we started doing, yeah, that's when the like more teenage, you know, step of the travel of cycling around the world began for us, I'd say. Because we always, we, we cycled the last year by ourselves on the tandem. You know, me and my brother on one, my parents on the other. Yeah. So we kind of migrated over. But, um, yeah, we definitely got to the point where we wanted our own bikes. and uh, Yeah, it's ca- fine. The cl- cl- coop, it's the independence. Well, that's it, yeah. So, wait, so Cannondale gave us four bikes. Like, beautiful setup, man. They were like six yeah. grand bikes each, like fully set up for us. And, and now going to Asia, so South America to Europe and then hitting the um, back, you know, Equatorian, like in the humidity. Yep. The hustle and bustle, the crazy roads, the crazy driving, oh, no yeah. place to really camp. Like, how did you do Asia? Well, Asia's fantastic when it comes to accommodation. Nice and cheap. Nice and cheap. You know, for 15 bucks, you got yourself a room here. Oh, well, in Thailand, Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, wherever in Southeast Asia that we went, it was pretty easy to live comfortably. And food, you know, street food was $1.50 for a pad thai. Yeah. You know, so like quality of life, I'd say, in Asia was like bang for your buck. Yeah, is definitely the best in Asia, like compared to South America or Europe. We were living like kings in Asia, so for us it was, yeah, it was like kind of like a, yeah, a little step up, I'd suppose. And when it comes to quality of life, like going from the tuna pastas and yeah. the and the basic bread or whatever that we were eating in Europe, going over to Asia and having beautiful Asian food for breakfast, lunch, and yeah. dinner. You don't have to cook anymore. Did you get used to being on a budget? Or sometimes you're like, Dad, come on, I want to oh, have yeah, this sure. or I want to do this. Or like, could you get your own money? You know, you know not being able to have that A little bit of an allowance here and there. But like it, that went since I was like five years old. I remember being in Australia. Oh, Dad, I want a new surfboard. Or I want, you know, I want to get these new Globe skate shoes. And he'd be like, oh, how much are the skate shoes? Like 120 bucks. He's like, I spent 60 on mine. So here's 60. Go mow some lawns or clear some cars. Yeah. You know, like it's always been like that for me. So for me, it was like, figure it out. And um, when it was like, when it came more to teenage years, my parents were quite willing to give us a little bit of money here and there. It was like a $20 between the two of us yeah. to go out and have some fun. We didn't actually have a stash of coin. And, you know, maybe my grandparents would give me 100 bucks for Christmas and that would be like, yeah. you know, my little stash. And I ke- kind of kept going like that until I left home when I was 17. So, yeah. Yeah, wow. My parents are like, their just... quality of life has gone up a lot recently, but we'll get into that later. But yeah. Like when we were younger, it was budget. 
Yeah. But we never, I don't think it ever really affected me and my brother in any way negatively. Do you reckon it, did it, how did it affect your parents' relationship being on the road, like living like that with you guys? Do you reckon you became closer as a family? Oh yeah. It's indescribable how close I am with my parents and my brother. You know, we know ourselves inside and out. We got no boundaries. We still walk around, hug each other, kiss each other. With no no shame about being naked around each other. It's mm. just open. Because you you've know? always had to share rooms, share beds, share beds, just yeah. be close. Like I remember I watched this documentary once about this family in New Zealand. It was called This Way of Life. Yeah. Um, it was about how they lived off grid and then at the end of it they got their own house yeah and she said uh, she just like says this thing that she wishes she could go back to just being off grid because there was no doors to get closed yeah they were all so close and now she's like yeah you know they have their own space and people close doors and they're just kind of drifted apart in yeah. a way well you know that's the beauty about having parents in general or a brother you know if you can't tell them who can you wow there's so many lessons in this in your story yeah you know what I mean? There's like so much for, for one just inspiring me of like how I want to have kids and how I want to travel and how I want to do it. Mm. And just also for other people, that community of like um, the family network. of uh, it's, it's funny, like when we met that German couple and they've got the one-year-old, like he said to me, he goes, well, you got to remember he lives with us. Yeah. No, we don't live with him. Yeah, exactly. And we're traveling, so he comes with us. He's yeah. a kid. He adapts to anything. He was a legend, that guy. I met him four years ago in Uluwatu before he was with her, before the kid. Everything. Oh, really? Yeah, we were parting our asses off together. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's a legend. And then so I didn't even recognize him when I saw him. He was like, oh, hey, is that Jesse? I'm like, who is this guy? And yeah. And it like, clicked back to me after a bit. Like, but yeah, yeah, small world, man. Yeah. Like, crazy after COVID, he's got a kid and he's out here doing that with his with his new, you know, girlfriend and child. It's beautiful to see. Yeah. Like, especially coming from Germany, of all places. Yeah. You know, like where, yeah, we're... Pretty strict and reformed and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. Know? Yeah. So, okay, so, like, um, your journey then going through Asia, when did it come to a stop? Like, this is eight years. Yeah. So, it's like deep. from 12 to 20. Yeah, it was before that. I was, like, 12 to 16. I was in... 12 to 16, I was cycling... Yeah, I was about 15, 16, I entered Asia for yeah. like that two-year stint, 16 to 17, 15 to 17, around that. And we did, we started off in northern Thailand, and then we followed the Mekong all the way down through Laos, Vietnam, Cambodia, back into Thailand, did that, ended in Malaysia. And I think we went over to t here to Bali for a little, to Indo for a little bit. Didn't cycle though, we left our bikes behind for Indonesia. Yeah. And then we ended up back in Europe. Uh, this time around we flew to... Yeah, I think it was Italy, I think we flew to. Yeah, to Rome. We flew to Rome and then we started cycling up and I actually, it's a f funny story, but I got picked out for modeling when I was like, <laughs> walk, yeah. walking through the streets in, um, in Amsterdam and that kick-started me leaving home um, and that was when I was 17. My brother ended up staying. They went back over to Asia and cycled for another year and a half around Asia. I got on my push bike and cycled down to Italy ended up pitching up in Milan for six months. Did you take the job? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> took the job and ended up just like, you know, flying and modeling around Europe and getting into a whole new scene that I'd never seen before. Like picture me pi coming in on a bike into Milan, like to the freaking agency. Yeah. Like, that's like, how it was pretty much. Like it was like my bike with my little, little bags on the back, sweaty, blonde hair, like total polar opposite. And they just rolled in, signed a contract, got a little apartment. And that was that for six months. Holy and shit. Just traveled around Europe doing that. Yeah, how was it hard to say goodbye to your parents? Or was it was it hard for your parents to let you go? I 
wouldn't say I think I think I was ready or, or since I was 15 already you know like the, we, yeah. we had clashes you know mum and dad me uh, you know I, w- I was a bit more of the black sheep of the family if I dare say yeah for me, it was always you know I was ready to just to st- kick start life I guess yeah and um, there was only so much more time I could spend on the bike with them yeah um, and bear in mind I continued cycling by myself for four years after that with my brother so that's that's kind of what happened I left home did the year <laughs> I, I love you i left home no yeah. you left L- left riding there. with yeah. your parents <laughs> that, that was pretty much home for me you yeah. know like that was the structure of it just mum, yeah. dad and my brother left them did the year then my brother came back and then me and him just jumped on the bikes and we pissed off and started doing it ourselves what was it um, like then was your brother just oh, amazing man it was the best one of the best times of my life and how Absolutely. are you making money so it, back then, I had a little bit of money saved up. We ended up cycling all the way down to um, south of uh, Spain. And this was like at the end of summer. And we had the option to go, we were thinking about going to Morocco or the Canaries, or we had this job opportunity in Switzerland. And I was like, I was talking to my brother. I was like, yeah, maybe we should just go buckle down for like six months in Switzerland and heaps of coin. Because I got a Dutch passport so I can live and work in Europe. And uh, we ended up backtracking all the way to Switzerland, parked up in Basel there. And my brother found a job in a, in a, in this one pharma company. I did the same and we were sitting on, I was freshly 18 at the point and I was sitting on like four and a half thousand, five thousand francs a month, like in this bullshit little, the job you needed three years in university to do. And I talked my way into it. <laughs> like, it was the most random job. It was a sample manager in Novartis. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Was talk my way into it yeah and um we ended up doing that for a whole year saved up as much coin as we could and then uh this is when this was right when burma finally myanmar finally opened up the borders and my brother and i and my family in general had been eyeballing burma for the last well since we were kids because it's been a military dictatorship for 60 yeah. years like before the i think it was like since the world war two it's been closed you couldn't cycle it you couldn't enter you could enter for three days under a guided tour kind of like north korea and um the second it opened up my brother and i were like quit the jobs flew straight to thailand and we were the first ones to cycle burma me and my brother and two mates who came and joined us really that was epic so as a family unit how were you guys like picking where you wanted to where you were going to travel was like season related a yeah. big part of it was like weather related you know the second it got cold up in the northern hemisphere we'd back down to the southern hemisphere never got to like yeah it was always season related and this is kind of was kind of the point where i think our whole family got to a you know it was the crossroads for all of us my yeah. parents started let we left they had more money more time to start focusing on the things that they wanted to do and my brother and i we, we were just two loose little grums still running around you know so yeah. for us it was wherever the sun wherever the sun's shining and if we had the money to do it we would go and at that point we'd just done a year so for us the second Burma opened we were like we got to do this you know be the first ones to cycle in 60 years it's like seeing Asia untouched yeah so it was a big big uh had you ever at this point so like you've flown the the coop you and your brother now uh you know are traveling together Mm. but is it the reason why you're still doing it is because it's all that you knew or did you just have that itch you just wanted to like well after doing the corporate sector in in switzerland and like i think that was a big part that we actually stayed in europe for that long for those three years in general was was i think we me and my brother were both kind of interested to see if we functioned under normal society you know yeah. or like a, a job mundane or not if it was pharma if it was in in you know hospitality whatever whatever industry just to see if we could do it 
and uh, and you know there's always that question that did arise halfway through the trip you know like education wise do we want to proceed anything a trade or go to university or or if we're pretty happy with just what we got and i think um those that the between the age of like six yeah since 17 to 19 that when i really focused on you know spending time in the western world working earning some coin for myself that was the formidable years of me deciding that this is not going to work for me. Yeah. yeah. And it's not that I can't do it. It's just it doesn't give me what I need out of life. Yeah. Um, that nine to five, you know, staring at a computer screen or if it's out, like just in general, the A to B lifestyle and staying in one place, it didn't fulfill me. So that kind of, ki- I think that kickstarted the next step for both of us where we said, you know, we're going to have to find a way to earn money and be able to still travel and see the world. And that's that. I think both of us, and I can say that solidly for my brother. I don't think we're ever gonna stop. Yeah, like, we'll see the whole world, man. And there's still that much more to see. Yeah. So, like, what is what is your life dream? I want to cycle all seven continents and sail the seven seas. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Sick. Do you, do you think be you'll me, ever be be grounded, or do you reckon, or do you feel grounded? Just I feel this very is, grounded. Yeah. Just, just because it's what you used to. I think a woman would make me a bit more grounded, a girlfriend, a yeah. partner to share with. Yeah. That would be, um, that would definitely, yeah, change change probably the extremity of the way I travel at the moment or the way I do things. But in saying that, I do believe that, um, yeah, it will always be in the eyes of adventure and freedom. Yeah. If that's entire, if that's a boat as a home, if that's a bus as a home, if it, yeah. but it will always. I think I will always try to focus on being mobile. So, um, what are your views on on current society in the Western world? Well, like whether it be Australia or America, we we can probably use extra Australia as an example. Australia for me, the easiest way. Can I be way, brutally honest? Yeah, the nanny state. Oh mate, like, like I I always respected Australia to a certain extent. Bear in mind, I didn't come home for twelve years yeah. to Australia. So when I finally came back, and this was just before COVID started, I came back for three months. At that time, I had a little Portuguese girlfriend that I was traveling with, and we bought a van and went back to Australia. And I was it was beautiful to come home. You know, like it's funny you don't really realize how Aussie you are until you come back. Yeah, like I, I was. I was thought, oh, I'm just an English-spoken bloke. Yeah. But then I come back to Australia, I'm like, shit, I actually relate with these people way yeah, more yeah. Than, than per se an American or, you know, any other English-spoken nation. But um, I then went back to Indonesia and I was here for about six months and uh, this was just before, right when COVID was starting. And uh, I remember I was sitting here at Yo-Yo's and I got like a phone call in from my parents saying like, oh, if you don't go back to Australia now, you're going to have to pay for quarantine which would have been, I don't know, $4,000 a head. Yeah. Um, we had no idea how long it was going to last. I, in retrospect, wish I stayed, but ended up going back with my partner. And the second I got to Australia, it was just like, poof, closed up. And, you know, I got on, a, we, we got in a van, we traveled, we got on Surf Team ScoMo for the first uh, year, yeah, yeah. like eight months, you know, which was a, it's an amazing thing that a government can give you 1400 bucks a fortnight, you know, yeah. and free healthcare, et cetera. That's all, it's all beautiful to a certain extent but to see how australia bent over yeah it would during covid and yeah. the way that um the way that the the government treated the people and and yeah just just the i don't know how to describe it it was a, it was it was a very degrading mm. mentality that i think that's a thing that people trip that and they and they find it a hard pill to swallow but it's like Man, it's all you got to do is travel to realize and go back to Australia and realize how much we are the nanny state, oh, shit, how yeah. many rules we have, how many regulations, how much tax, how much everything, how much like it's just 
it's we're so we we kind of think we're this like free and i fuck you Mm. people but i I realize what we are man like it's like because we're convicts if Mm. we didn't play by the rules we got the whip oh yeah so it's like we're like you know what i mean we're so used to from how we started as soon as like the fucking you know the rules come down it's like oh do it otherwise you know and if you don't do it we're all in trouble yeah you know it's, what I mean? It's out of control, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I've, like I could, coming from Europe, you know, even if you put it under the party spectrum, yeah. you know, in Europe, like, parties don't start till one in the morning. Yeah. You know, you go to Australia and they're done at midnight. Yeah, everything you know, closed. Like everything closed, but bottlers are closed, the rules and regulations are in order. It's, yeah, you know, order. I think that's the thing, order. order. And it's, it's um, and people will be getting offended, like, just listening to this or getting triggered, but it's like fuck, all you got to do is travel to see it. And oh, yeah. the whole, like, because I've got mates all around the world, when everything's happening, they're messaging me going like, what the fuck's happening in Australia, man? Oh, like, yeah. I thought you guys were people told people to fuck off. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And everyone's like, nah. Like, it's just, it was really hard. And then, like, now a friend of mine, just she just went to um, oh, a grunge festival down in Sydney. What band was it? It wasn't NoFX. It was... Um, but anyway, they had this big thing like no crowd surfing, no this, no that, no that. And she took a photo of it. It was yeah. like, you're going to see a grunge festival. You can't crowd surf. Yeah. You can't, no moshing, no crowd surfing. No, like pretty much it's just like no having fun. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's no expressing. I will, I will put it out there though. It's probably one of the best. It is hands down, in my opinion, the best continent to, to, to come from. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Like for the sure. freedom. If, you, if you're willing to do it differently in Australia, you can do it differently. Yeah. Uh, exactly well I suppose freedom um, the bush the nature like you can escape pretty damn easy yeah there's not there's only like one or two places on earth that I found that I could actually like live fully one's Tofino in Canada like Vancouver Island actually maybe that's just it it's just yeah we're we're so lucky there in Australia like that yeah oh yeah yeah that's like bringing up a family you know Mm. I think Australia is fantastic you can legally do homeschooling you can't do that in Europe you yeah, know? right. I think France is the only one that yeah. allows legal homeschooling. Like, you have to go to school if you're European. Mm. It's a legal thing. If you take them out of the system, parents can be prosecuted for doing it. That's insane. Yeah. I find that insane. Oh, it's ridiculous. So, so okay, so, like, the system, but as far as, like, as far... Okay, we have an industrial society that is, like, you know, like, we're, we're ants working towards something. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. It's just like it's, sometimes I just wonder, like, is anyone questioning? Like, they're just getting up, they're going to this job, they're just doing this. I met this guy. I met this. We're sailing in Tonga, and we're up the north of Vavau, and a few, uh, quite a few islands out off that. This tiny little island, and I wanted to. We wanted to go get some coconuts. Yeah. And so we t- we're sailing. We're sa- on our way down to New Zealand. And we went to this island and it was super weird. We were walking along the beach because we could see that there was like this like makeshift little hut in there. And we thought, oh, we better ask the dude who lives on here or whatever, like the family, if we can climb some coconut palms. Yeah. And walking down, the weirdest thing was there was this like cardboard box sitting on the beach yeah, right. with a little solar panel sitting on it, tiny little solar panel connected to a cord, to a phone, yeah. to like a 15 year old girl sitting there on Facebook. Are you kidding and I was like, oh, I went, I went up, started chatting to her. And she goes, oh, yeah, yeah, my dad's up in the in the field. So he went up and it was like this guy and he spoke really good English. Him and his wife up in this field and they had like just such a like makeshift little shack that they were living in. And he just had a little boat, little dinghy. Yeah. And um, he was growing tobacco in the field and chili, I think. But tobacco just to trade or sell. 
and he took his kids to school to another island which was five kilometers away and i was like well that was pretty interesting you know you're living pretty simply here you know what i mean no power yeah um no not like literally just such a simple little shack and then he goes to me oh where are you from and i said oh you know east coast australia and he goes oh yeah i used to live in brisbane yeah i was like what you lived in brisbane he goes yeah i lived in brisbane lived up in cairns lived down in auckland yeah i went oh like why are you living like on an island then like so raw and he goes and he said oh it's just not real for for him anyway he goes he goes oh that life for me just isn't real Mm. i was like oh what do you mean he goes i went there to like work and like do this and he's like i wasn't didn't get to live life yeah yeah yeah. i was just going and then doing this thing but he's like this was my family's island yeah and so i grew up here and then i went to the west because that's what i thought i had to do you know and like went and worked and worked these jobs and like i didn't get to live life yeah he's like i didn't he's like i'm sitting here on this beautiful island where surrounded by you know nature being in nature with his family you know with his loved ones getting to enjoy it and be that and live that beautiful you know and he still got i suppose he was still challenging himself because he was growing he had purpose he had meaning yeah but it just made me think so much because he was like he had been given the west he had gone to the west and just Mm. went huh Mm. you know this ain't for me yeah and he chose the island yeah you know yeah there's a i don't remember who said it but it stuck with me always like routine is the killer of time yeah. yeah, like once you get into a stable routine of doing A to B, same job, nine to five, same thing, life just goes, yeah. it's gone. 30 years passes you like that. Yeah. It's like, that's 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 a big, big thing, you know, the numbing of, of Western society. It's like so, comfortability, you know, comfortability is a mindset. Mm. It's not, it's not a fact. It's a mindset. And a lot of people choose, you know, aesthetic comfortability over you know, spiritual or mental comfortability. Yeah. And, um, well, it would be hard for you to condi- to be conditioned to, from the, you know, the collective consciousness because the collective consciousness for you kept changing. Yeah. So it would be super hard for you to be conditioned of like, no, you need to be like this. You need to do this. You need to do that because yeah. you're constantly moving. Yeah. It's like I used to, I grew up on the Gold Coast and then all my friends went to uni and then I started traveling. Every time I went to the Gold Coast, mm. I got so much anxiety because mm. it was where I can, where I was conditioned, where I was going against the grain. Mm-hmm. And so when I went back there, the grain was going one way and I'm going another way. So I'm freaking out. Yeah, yeah. I would get so much anxiety there because everyone's doing something that I was always told I should be doing. Yeah. But it didn't feel right to the, on the inside, right? Yeah. And then I just realized as soon as I go away from the Goldie, it's not real anymore. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And I, and I just, I, like, I just became aware of that. And I was like, huh, this is where I was conditioned. It was where I, that collective consciousness told me a story. Yeah. And I was, and I was silly enough to think that it was mine. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? But you have to travel to realize that, right? Exactly. Okay. We have to learn about yourself to realize that. So you have to put yourself in situations where you get to be with yourself. Yeah, exactly. You know? Exactly. So how, do you, how are you living life now? Currently, I'm 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 completely directionless. Funny enough, I mm. had I had love about a year and a half ago or two years ago. Uh, first time that I was really in love, and unfortunately, I stuffed that relationship up, and mm. it took me quite a while to forgive myself for that. And I pretty much have just escaped, to be honest. Mm. I've uh, spent the last year and a half in West Oz, had a four-wheel drive, living out of the four-wheel drive, doing random jobs up and down the coast, just surfing, traveling, constantly on the road. Um, yeah, just sleeping in my front seat pretty much. And it's been beautiful, don't get me wrong, but um, yeah, that was the whole COVID thing and being stuck in Australia was getting to me. 
yeah. and then after the relationship especially and then finally the borders opened so i just sold my truck and i came straight out here to indo i've been here since june yeah and nice. i'm just on surf trips i had a beautiful surf trip out to sumba two months ago did it all with the scooters from bali that was amazing just exploring different islands hanging out with the beautiful people here in indonesia and figuring out where which direction to go now and um i'm, I'm aiming for a sailboat yeah. i want to get a sailboat and just start sailing around the world so for you so that's your, so if that's a dream for you for you how would you make that dream happen i need to buckle down yeah. buckle down and work and that that that's probably the one contradictive thing with the way i've been brought up is that um it has made it a bit more difficult to stay in one place you know and mm. like you know do, put in the hard yards for a long time to get the money to per se buy a boat or yeah. set yourself up when it comes to like a block of land or a house or something you know yeah but so, it's nothing like the mundane to motivate you for your dreams well that's it's it. i do the same i do short stints of work get heaps of money yeah. but in that short stint it's like I get myself in routine, which yeah. is brilliant to be in for a bit. Yeah. Get myself super healthy, and I get so fucking motivated because yeah. I'm working on some construction site. And I'm sitting there going, "This yeah. ain't fucking life. This ain't. I'm not getting to express myself here. Yeah. I'm just another number playing another game. This isn't my expression." So you get this super motivation to well, be able to it. go express yourself. That's it. Well, that's why I'm very, I feel blessed to have spent these last six months here in Indo again. It was extremely refreshing to be in third world countries. You know. So the motor's just kicked off somewhere. I just heard that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Everything goes through the through the mic. And yeah. so, okay, and so what about your parents? Where are they now? So that's what I was trying, trying to tell you before. It was about, just about before I left home, I left the bike life, um, my parents found that we were always collecting little stones from all around the world. And my mum met this girl and started making macrame, like just basic jewellery. And this one, we were in the south of Spain and my brother and I were going out and meeting girls and having a good time. My parents were parked up with the tents like two kilometers outside of town in a field. And um, they decided to go into the, onto the main esplanade there and just put out these macrame pieces with a little sign cycling around the world since 2008 with the bikes. And they sold like 400 euro that night straight off the bat. Wow. So my dad was like, fuck, we hit a gold mine here. This could be like a beautiful way for us to continue the, you know, in the eyes of freedom and not have to, you know, go and work and go back to Australia or per se work in Europe. So they started doing that and we started doing it as well. And so over the years, my parents have become extremely good at this. And uh, it started off from doing season. So it would be like European season. They'd spend four months just cycling around Europe and pitching up at different beaches and making tons of cash doing that. Or they'd go over and then just come here to Asia and spend the you know the summertime here, make stock and then go back. And that's what they did for a few years. Myself and my brother, we did the same. We came here to Asia, cycled for six months around Asia, came to Indonesia, did Sumatra for a while, and then we'd fly back to Portugal, pitch up in Portugal for two months, and we'd rake in twelve, fifteen thousand euro just sitting on the beach there selling bracelets and jewelry with a little sign cycling around the world. That was beautiful because you just all day sitting under the sun, meeting beautiful characters, sharing your story, sharing the love yeah. and you're making, you know, decent amount of money doing it. And that just allowed us this ultimate freedom. And I followed that all the way through until about three years ago. My brother has continued doing it nonstop. He now has a partner. He's traveling around Australia. He's got his four wheel drive and they just go from market to market and they just do markets and sell. And then the rest of the time they're surfing and camping and being free. <sighs> 
I love gypsies. Yeah. I love market people. Yeah. <laughs> and my parents do the same now. They, they're in Australia. Yeah. They've got an Isuzu truck. They've decked it out and they just go from roadhouse to market and make coin. And I think they're at the moment, they're just trying to save up as much as they can because they've got no pension. They've got none of that. They're 62 this year, oh, yeah. both of them. So for them, it's like, yeah, save as much coin while you can. And then I think next year, I wouldn't be surprised that they're going to sell the truck and get back on the bikes and keep traveling. Wow. Yeah. They fit? Yeah, they fit. Yeah, they fit, yeah. eh? Because you, you just keep... They're 62. Yeah. You know, like they're, they're getting wobbly and flobbly a little bit here and there. But, yeah, but still, like when it, it's the mind, man. It's funny because my mate Rio, that um, he comes on this podcast. We do a segment called Conversations of Line and Elder, which actually like some of the biggest episodes I have where we sit and talk about life. Yep. But he was always, a, you know, he traveled around the world he's always done like markets as well he's yeah. always been like a, yeah he's just always done and anyway he still does the sunday markets down in byron and bangalore selling oj and oh, lemonade nice. and i go down and do it with him quite often and it is so it's my literally one of my funnest things to do yeah because we go down and we just smoke a joint yeah and we just squeeze oj and people just come up and just you just interact with people. It's beautiful. It's just it? this boiling pot of just people interacting from all walks of life. Yeah. And it's just so much freaking fun. Yeah. Like the energy of markets, is, it makes you feel human. For sure. You know For what I sure. mean? It makes it feel real still. Like when you go to market, like think about if you go to a supermarket, yeah. there is no connection to that food. There is no Nothing. connection to those things that you buy. Nothing. When you go to the market, you are literally got the connection from someone who created this or someone who grew this or someone who did this. It's like there is there's the connection there you can see it and it's a whole different feeling it's a whole different vibe yeah exactly it's real yeah the market like in general just arts and crafts or anything done with your hand with love and passion and then sharing that onwards to the community or to whoever that is i think is so much more beautiful than anything else yeah you know so arts and crafts even if even like even farming is an art in its own you yeah. know like people come to the markets and sell their hard worked farm yeah. food like beautiful Wait, beautiful what why do you think we're here I'm just together sitting here now no no just like in general like i'm just just thinking about like your insight with how you've grown up it's just like you know you said earlier you're not religious you're spiritual but it isn't even a spiritual question it's just it's just like it's just i'd just love to know what why you think we're here on this planet for me personally yeah i feel that i'm here just to experience and bring on joy and mm. show the world that there's more to cultures and places than there is anything else mm. and that brings me a lot of joy um i think uh, in general people have forgotten how beautiful it is to share man mm. and like you know it's all everything's so accessible now that yeah. people don't move anymore you can get you can see and hear everything from your f tv you know yeah even though most of it's bullshit but yeah you can sit and create a huge opinion from a comfortable chair mm. um and the, fa the, the select few who still choose to do it differently and still move around and see the world and then are able to bring that back yeah. to home, they can make a huge change in people's lives. Well, maybe that's why we're here as well, you know, yeah. like what you're doing with your podcast, you know, make, yeah. making a change in someone's life somewhere you'll never meet or see, but you do. Yeah. It's like a circle. It's wild how you just said, like, I'm here to experience. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, yeah. uh, it's like literally that is what you're doing. You're traveling around the world. It's like you're, it's brilliant what your parents did because they, ins they instilled the strength and fearless attitude within you mm -hmm. because they showed you it was safe that yeah. you can go and experience. And the reason why I asked you that is because 
that's what I kind of think. It's like, why are we here? We're here to experience the human experience. Exactly. You know, we're here for a human experience. And exactly. what is the human experience? It's like to connect, to love, to have joy, yep. to fucking smell the roses. Yep. And that's the thing. Like, it's. I just went down to Sydney um, a, a few weeks ago because I went when I flew out to New Zealand, and there wasn't much stopping to smell the roses. Mm-hmm. It was a very busy lifestyle that people were living down there. Oh, yeah. And I was thinking like, and it was really hard for my energy to be in that. Like, even though I'm, I'm pretty high energy, but it's just like, everyone was like, go, go, go. And yeah. I was like, where's the, it was like nice sunset. And like, people are like, oh yeah, six sunset. Yep. Now it's uh, 12.28. Now we've got three minutes. We're going to get down there and then we'll do that. We've yeah. already seen the sunset. Now we'll go look at the way. Like, then we're going to do that. I'm like, fuck, like I haven't even, I haven't even Speedy soaked that bit in yet. Yeah. I haven't even soaked that in, you know? Yeah. But it's, um... Yeah, the, the human experience, man. And we're one of the last generations to see the world as is. Yeah. You know, I've got plenty of places on the map that I've been to that don't exist anymore. Yeah, well, here's kind of, in a way, here's one of them. I first came here 15 years ago. Yeah. And I had a chat with my um, missus this morning and, and said, like, I love it so much, but it isn't why I came here now. Yeah. It's still beautiful. I still love it. I just got, I just surf pumping waves all morning, yeah. you know, in and out of the, the crowd that, most people say is uncrowded but yeah. man to experience this place 15 years even six years ago oh, yeah. even five years ago here there was none of these buildings even this one was sitting here this is about seven years old now but um oh, it's cha- yo-yos but, has changed so much yeah but like to be like i'd never surfed it with more than six to ten people i think the most crowded i'd ever seen it was 15 dudes yeah. and now it doesn't get under 15 yeah, people it's insane. which but that's just how life is it grows but i said to my missus this morning like i like it's like, I wonder where the next place is for me. You know, I go back to Iceland soon. And Iceland yeah. is that, but it ain't in the tropical that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, Micronesia, and, man. Yeah, well, after I was in Iceland, not last time, the time before, I went down to Mexico to Jacao, which is, I used to go there all the time. And I remember I used to go there because I'd surfed by myself. Yeah. And last time I went there, there was heaps of crew there. Oh, and yeah. I was, I, me and my mate scored because no one knew that the bank was back there yeah right once so we got it for like a week and a half to ourselves and then the word got out there's Boom. the sands back and yeah. the next thing it was like crowded but i'm like yeah where's where's the next joint like and the reason why this place you know was so you know was how it was was because it was so hard to get to yeah yeah you know now it's gotten a bit easier yeah, yeah. so it's like you know it can bring on more and then it's just like all right but i'm willing to like I'm willing to travel to get to that place. Yeah, exactly. Well, the journey is a destination, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean, like tonight, like I've got to go back to Bali to pick up Shelby and it's going to be a 16 hour trek. Well, it took me 16 hours to get here. I mean, it takes 12 to 16 hours on the motorbike overnight. Yeah. And it's just like, it's going to be epic. People, I love it. I put the speakers on, like I just put the headphones on and, and I just, yeah, just punch it. And I go overnight, so there's no traffic. Perfect. You just got to look out for dogs and everything, and and then you pull up in random places. You get a feed or whatever. Yeah. You get on the boat. You're the only white dude, and then you know you sleep on the boat. Everyone's just chatting with you. Like it's just sick. It's beautiful. You know? Yeah, well, it's a real kind of authentic experience. Oh, but then I tell like people, like, you know, like well, you this is how you do it. But then you tell other people, and they're like, what? Yeah. You rode over and bike. Fucked up. No, oh, fuck that. Yeah, yeah. Like ferries are dirty it takes too long yeah cup noodles suck yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and i'm but for me i'm like well i'm used to it because that's the only way you could you used to be able to of get course. it yeah so i'm like well, that's really the only way i know it's foreign to me to spend 600 bucks to go the other oh, way man. when it cost me 30 bucks it cost me 27 bucks it took it cost me to get over yeah 
So, so like, cheap at the scooter. Yeah, I know. So cheap. Well, compared to 600. Of course. You know, you're like, and then you save a night on accommodation. Well, that's it. So I'm like, well, fucking. That's it. <laughs> like, Indonesia's changed a lot, though, eh, after COVID. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. Everyone's coming in and buying up and. Yeah, and, and the like, garbage. And, you know, that's a product, I suppose, of like, you know, the nannying of Australia. Mm. You know, it's like, there's like a max exodus in a way yeah absolutely or like people looking for other options yeah yeah which is kind of it's a good thing or a bad and a bad thing because like we saw i saw it in crescent head yeah it's like COVID hit everyone escaped to crescent head and suddenly my town got filled with fucking garbage yeah i can imagine you know what i mean you're like i'm in this beautiful little town and then they had to literally shut all the the national parks and kick everyone out because they were like all right if we do get COVID here then we've only got this one little small hospital in Kempsey. we can't handle all you guys but all the land started getting bought up and everything and it was all that and then now it's getting busier now you see more garbage you see like you know what i mean like it's just like the place changes yeah and you're like just it's an unavoidable thing that's going on in the world at the moment i think yeah wait for this recession to come in (laughs) yeah 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 that's going to change a lot yeah i live off grid yeah i don't need money oh, that's it that's <laughs> it that or escape yeah that's uh, why this sailboat thing is such a beautiful option yeah you know then you can live off the water yeah catch fish trade with locals for some rice and veg well it's wild yeah. that's what kind of like brought the idea on in the first place of how easy it was to live off grid because me and the boys bought a yacht and start like in oh i was telling you we bought yeah. a yacht in lenkawi in malaysia sailed up to thailand and then down to indonesia yeah I still remember sitting there one day and I was sitting there looking on the boat. It was just, it was just like one of those epiphany moments where I was look, I was, was sitting there. It was a really hot day. The fans were on. Yeah. The boys were both on their laptops watching surf vids or whatever. And I was sitting there, I think I was reading a book and I was looking and I'm like, and that night, the night before it had rained and yeah. we, our back Bimini, we have like these little hoses we can hook up to it yeah, nice. so we can catch all our rain. And that night we filled all, all, up like all our water tanks and we're sitting there and the wind's going and the wind turbine's going off and we had four solar panels and I look over at the battery thing and all the batteries are full. Yeah. And the boys like, and I just thought, fuck, this is, you don't need much. There's three people living on this boat yeah. and there's enough electricity for all of them. We catch from that tiny little bimini that's like three square meters or four square meters. We're yeah. catching enough water for the three of us. Yeah. And I was just like, what is this thing? You know what I mean? We're jumping over the boat yeah. and catching mo- like most of our food. Yeah. Like, and then the food that we weren't catching, we're trading because we're catching fish and then trading it to villages yeah. to get veggies. And I'm like, this is so easy. Yeah. Paradise on earth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Wait, a, it should be a free eh? lifestyle. Okay, something is getting loud out there. I do not know what that's doing, but that could be our cue. That could be. Could be our cue to go surfing, man. Um, Jesse, thanks heaps for coming on and telling your story. My pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, dude. Sure. Just, it's just, um, it's insane. I love what you're doing. I love what your parents are doing. I just love that, yeah, that there's people like that doing it. You know, are you going to do the same when you have kids? I definitely do. I definitely <laughs> you said it so, earlier, man. but I just wanted to hear I it again. I definitely hope so. Yeah. I just want my missus to listen to this so she knows. And I think she's down. She's yeah. down. But I'm just like, it's just like my thing. I get scared of like getting so committed or, you know, coming into someone else's ideology. You know, she's got her own conditioning and her own life. And for me to be like, hey, it's safe. If it's you safe. Have, if you have it's someone like, special that you can share the world with, yeah. bring someone new into it and keep spreading the love. Exactly. No matter where you go, it's going to be good. Exactly. All right, man. Let's get out of here. Big love, brother. Oh, you too, bro. Just say. 
Now, guys, if you like this episode, feel free to share it for me. Take a screenshot, put it on your social media stories, tell your mates, tell your mum. Thanks heaps for listening, guys. I'll see you guys next time. I do it like a double.